Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today's reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances. Then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing into the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading this morning is the third in a series of three over these past three weeks from the Sermon on the Mount, the first chapter uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Listen for a word of God. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Also, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Perfect? Be perfect, therefore, 
as if it follows naturally from all those teachings that raise the bar so dramatically, as naturally as the words happily ever after follow from the valiant chivalry of fairy tale heroes. Perfect? Before those final words raise your anxiety level or your blood pressure to unhealthy levels, I think a perfectionism intervention is probably in order. What is perfect? We say sometimes that it's the enemy of the good, meaning that if we allow ourselves to be dissatisfied with the valiant efforts because they don't achieve flawless results, we risk undervaluing or even undermining the good that those efforts do produce. And we say sometimes that practice makes perfect. And though it's true that diligence in preparation is often rewarded, it's also possible to be so driven in pursuit of a goal that you lose track of the joy that's built into the process of getting there. We say sometimes that something is perfect as a way of making criticism of it impossible. For example, to describe, oh, I don't know, a phone call as perfect, <laughs> as a synonym for unimpeachable. <laughs> or as a way of making criticism of something unnecessary, maybe as an antidote to self-defeating self-judgment. Some years ago, in a church that I served in Boston, we invited a remarkable artist named Michael Dowling to spend the season of Lent with us, guiding us in creating a communal piece of sculpture week by week to help us express our longing for God. Now, of course, art triggers achievement anxiety in a lot of us, but Michael was ready for that. You'd bring to him the piece that you'd been working on and bring along with it a big dollop of that insufficiency anxiety, too. Ready to save Michael the trouble of criticizing what you'd made by doing it yourself ahead of time. But Michael would take it into his ingenious hands and look at it and he'd say, perfect. I came to think that maybe the product of that Lent really was not so much the piece that we built together, though it was amazing but the experience of learning that it was possible to catch some fleeting glimpse of perfection in whatever your hands had made if your heart was in it. Perfect is a word that triggers our anxieties about achievement. And these verses from the Sermon on the Mount do seem to have that effect, at least on me. After the comforting words of the Beatitudes, which we listened to together two weeks ago, and then the inspiring words about being salt of the earth and light of the world, which Evans McGowan pondered here last Sunday, suddenly we've turned a corner into a sequence of teachings in which Jesus seems to set about raising the bar of expectations where some of life's most vexing challenges are concerned. Precept by precept, he moves us to higher ground. Not just that you shall not kill, but that you shall not be angry. Not just that you shall not commit adultery, but that you shall not lust. Not just that you shall not retaliate, but that you shall not resist. To top the raised bar of all those expectations with an exhortation to be perfect seems to endanger the whole sequence of the teaching. 
I mean, I was with you, Jesus, when you said that the poor in spirit are blessed, okay? In fact, I even thought that there might be some hope for me. And I'll do whatever I can to season this broth of life with whatever salt I can offer and let this little light of mine shine, let it shine. But what hope of blessing do I have if perfection is the standard to which this impoverished spirit of mine is going to be held? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is, of course, the place where Jesus moves to what was for him the highest ground of all, which is that we must take the love of God that we love with our whole being and love our neighbor with it, whoever our neighbor is. He didn't make that commandment up. It comes from the book of Leviticus, believe it or not, a passage that was surely engraved upon his heart. And in that same place in Leviticus, there are other words that are surely echoing here in this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. You shall be holy says Leviticus, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be perfect, be holy, as is your heavenly Father. True, holy and perfect are not quite the same thing. But let's think about that. Holiness is what makes the sacred different from the profane. As we try to bring holiness into our priorities and our relationships and our institutions, they come slowly to resemble more closely the way it is with God, on earth as it is in heaven, as the saying goes. If the invitation to us is to be holy as God is holy, then we might slowly start to love the world the way God loves the world. And if there are those outside looking in who wonder about this religion of ours, who wonder what this God of ours is like, well, if we start living on the higher ground that we're being invited to live on, then we might be able to say more and more, see, this is what our God is like. This is how God holds those whom the world so often drops. This is how God heals that which life so easily breaks. This is how God relates to those whom others are so quick to ignore. What it means to be less than perfect is to wield God's love only partially in this world because partial love, selective love, Partisan love is so far from the character of God's love. It only embraces those who embrace us back and thinks nothing of rejecting those who reject us. God doesn't love that way. Be like God then, Jesus says. Be holy. Be perfect. Not in the sense of flawless, but in the sense of whole and wholehearted, complete and mature and fully realized. All of that is in the Greek word 
teleos. Now, we do need to look again at those dangerous sounding words about not resisting an evildoer, turning the other cheek, not retaliating in kind. I mean, what's perfect or holy? What's whole or mature or fully realized about that anyway? Anyone who knows the experience of abuse knows how offensive it is to suggest that compliance or acquiescence are required for the sake of peace. There is no peace when compliance with evil leaves evil's tyrannical power undiminished or unchallenged. There is no justice when acquiescing to coercion siphons away agency or compromises integrity. But we can be sure that that's not what Jesus was asking of us. And commentator Matthew Bolton says this in fresh words so beautifully. He says, do not fight fire with fire, Jesus says. Rather, fight fire with water and thereby refuse to take part in the incendiary, all-too-familiar work of injury and domination. The disciple of Jesus is told not to be passive or non-responsive or acquiescent. The disciple is told to return positive acts of good. Oh, there are, to be sure, forces in this world that would victimize but we are not to think and act like victims any more than Jesus did. We are to imitate God who sends rain upon the fields of the just and of the unjust and stands ready to love both the saint and the sinner. If you love only those who love you, what difference does that make? Here on earth, there's no enacting holiness other than by living in transformed relationship with your neighbors. The higher ground is to seek to love in a way that is modeled on what we get from God, not on what we get from those who wish us ill. The choice between life and death, blessing and curse, is ever before us day by day indeed. And the higher ground The higher ground is to stand firm in the choice of life and to hold fast to the conviction of blessing. Now, to be honest, I've struggled this week with how or whether to say the next things, the final thing, something about the ways in which the sharp edge of this teaching cuts to the bone of events that are swirling around us in the world now. But I came to feel that it was actually the very word perfect that was insisting that we go there. So go there we will. It's a word, perfect, that's embedded in our history and our self-understanding as a nation. So I'll take one more deep breath and then I'll tell you the truth as I see it, which I think is what you've asked me to do. Knowing that you may have a different take on this truth and welcoming hearing your telling of it in time. We are, of course, as a people and as a culture, in this very moment in our history, still in unrequited pursuit of a more perfect union. Our founders recognized the work-in-progress nature of the civic wholeness and maturity that they were trying with their experimental constitution to build. 
It's hard not to ache now at the thought of how they might view the failures of their best laid plans that we are watching day by day. Or how they might hear the discord, the disparagement, the dysfunction that those failures have set off as public integrity seems to be collapsing in every direction around us. That's not the first time, of course, that we've failed each other in the ongoing effort to perfect our union. And I'm sure it's not the first time that many have considered simply giving up, disengaging, despairing of any possibility of maturity or wholeness or completion of this great, unfinished, unperfected project of democracy. But perhaps there is both solace and somber instruction still waiting for us in those ancient words of Scripture. The verb in the last verse of the gospel passage, verse 48, is actually in the future tense in the Greek. You will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just like the even more ancient verse in Leviticus, you shall be holy if you love with the love that God teaches you. Now, I'm enough of a Calvinist not to imagine that perfection is within my own sinful reach. But I'm trying to be enough of a Christian to imagine that Jesus means it when he blesses even the poverty of my spirit and bids me to follow him on the path to transformed relationships, which is what democracy is. This church has already stepped up to the higher ground at least once in a primordial way when this church was barely a decade old in 1836 at a time of national moral catastrophe, when this church refused the invitation to the violence that was slavery and turned its other cheek to those who said that abolitionism had no place in the Presbyterian church. Our predecessors stood their ground on their conviction that Jesus, Jesus was calling them to a more perfect union. And even across all these years and in the midst of this moment of national moral catastrophe, what is our responsibility now? I think we can hear Jesus calling still, bidding us come to higher ground. Do not strike back, stand firm. Do not let the bitterness of others embitter your own generosity. Do not be a victim of oppression. Do not let the collapse of others' integrity all around you lower the bar on your own or rob you of your voice. Do not let the struggle isolate you or divide you from those who will hold this vision and share this work with you. And above all, do not fail to believe that the power of God's love and justice are sufficient to perfect even you. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. You are salt you are light. Therefore, choose life 
bring what courage you have and your integrity and your hope and your conviction, bring them to become part of what God is still building. Bring them. And then don't be surprised when God takes what you bring and holds it in those ineffable, ingenious, divine hands and says, perfect. Perfect. Gracious and purifying God, we are like wandering children searching for our home. Yet we have heard your call and long to do your will. We humbly ask for your blessing and guidance, and we lift up prayers for ourselves and for those in our community who need your loving and healing presence. Holy God, we pray for the world, torn as it is by conflict and division. We have learned war very well. Now teach us the more difficult way of peace. Give us the will to settle differences creatively and patiently. Help us live in such a way that there is strength and gentleness and power in humility. Heal the injustice that threatens our common welfare until all your people live without violence and fear. In the face of such constant turmoil, it is often difficult to know where to begin. Help us simply begin. Help us acknowledge the inherent worth of every human being. Help us provide health care, nutritious food, and shelter for those who cannot provide for themselves. Most of all, help us anoint the burning wounds of division with the liniments of love, grace, and mercy. Creator, Redeemer, God, despite such turmoil, there is no shadow that can diminish your infinite love, a love that is broader than the measures of the mind. Move in our hearts and through our hands so that we may become instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Wherever your will is not done, let us be there. Let us be there with open arms and compassionate voices. Let us be there. Almighty God, you gather the whole universe into your radiant presence and continually reveal your Son as our Savior. Bring healing to all wounds. Make whole all that is broken. Speak truth to all illusion and shed light in every darkness so that all creation will see your glory and know your Christ, the Redeemer of us all, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.